Christian Mondrup is an artist who's based in Denmark right now. Uh, he used to live between China and Denmark, but this lockdown has uh, sequestered him with his wife, who's also an artist, and his son in Copenhagen. I hope you enjoy this episode, which just gives you a beautiful view of life in these parts of the world and a creative art life. Enjoy and welcome to 2021. Hi, good morning. Hi. <laughs> yeah, good good morning. <laughs> Hi, Christian. I guess it's good afternoon for you there. Yeah, it's almost three o'clock here. Yes. Uh, well, thank you for making this time to speak to us. I'm so happy to have yeah. word from Northern Europe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. It's yes. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, how You are Danish, I guess. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you grew up, uh, how you became an artist. Uh, yeah, I'm born here in Denmark, and uh, I grew up as a playing music. Actually, um, my father was uh, how to say um, he worked with IT, and then he was a piano teacher. Uh, so we always had a grand piano at home. So he started teaching me when I was about four or five years old, and then I switched to playing drums when I was eight. And then I started playing in bands and writing music for that. And then, yeah, that's kind of how I got into doing creative stuff. Uh, <laughs> and then later on, I, I, I've always been fascinated by as a contemporary art and always been into that direction. But then when I was uh, about, I think, 23, I started studying Chinese in the university. And it was kind of a coincidence. Uh, I had been playing jazz for a few years and been very serious about it, like playing, practicing eight hours a day and just really like wanting to, you know, make a living out of being a jazz musician. And um, and it worked to some extent, but uh, it also wore me out eventually. And then I thought, OK, I want to study philosophy. And then um, in the university and they changed the reform in the educational system so i had to get another extra language uh, besides german and uh, english uh, in order to enter the humanities and so they said and i was sitting there at the office and they were saying like okay so you can either study one of these obscure languages or you can uh, take a night class for a year in spanish and then you can reapply for philosophy and then they said, you can take Japanese and Russian and, you know, uh, 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 Korean or Chinese, but you have to keep in mind that Chinese uh, second semester or third semester is uh, mandatory in Beijing because they, they get a lot of language class uh, for, for the same money that they would get very little for in the Danish university. Mm. Um, and then I just thought, okay, I mean, I've never been to China. That sounds exciting. So, so I started studying Chinese. Um, and then uh, I went to China and uh, studied for half a year and I met my wife there and I started, I basically uh, went there with a few connections. I had some friends who'd been touring in China, um, so they introduced me to some Chinese musicians, a guy named Xiao He, who's uh, kind of like on the, quite famous on the avant-garde scene in 
Beijing and in Shanghai at that time in 2009. And so when I arrived there, I basically went out for dinner with him and he introduced me to all these people who were doing, you know, dance and performance and music and art and all this stuff. And I became kind of a part of that circle. Um, and that's where I met my wife, uh, Lucian. And um, yeah, and then I just got into because she was she just finished a BFA at the Central Academy and was studying English for going to SVA to pursue a master's degree in, in visual art. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of fit in the, in the way that she was doing video works and I was composing the scores for her <laughs> doing the sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just kept doing that. So I basically ended up making all the music for all her video works since 2009. Wow, that's a beautiful story. Yeah, and so we started collaborating and doing installations as well and doing, you know, whenever we have something with text or with music, it's because I ended up, you know, continuing at the university. Now I had a Chinese girlfriend and and I thought, okay, I might as well become good at speaking Chinese uh, and understand the culture a little better. And I'm definitely going back. I, I basically came back from China the first time with more questions than answers uh, about like it was it was so it was such a crazy experience going to so far away and you know by yourself at the age of 24 and just being yeah being there for half a year it was amazing i'm sure yeah and so it just developed from there basically then i became more and more involved in contemporary art and in working and collaborating with artists and mm-hmm writing about art and I started taking uh, all my, how you say, uh, supplement uh, classes in, in university. I took them in the, in the arts department in like uh, studying aesthetic theory and, mm-hmm. and uh, visual communications and stuff like that. So um, it kind of led me in that way, you can say. <laughs> Yes, well, I I love that it was so organic. I mean, it was a sort of natural flow for you. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. It's quite a coincidence in many ways, but I think to a large extent, um, I mean, if if you feel passionate about anything, uh, then it's always worth pursuing. I mean, you never really, I never really earned money on putting out records, but I, earned a lot of experiences and I learned earned a lot of money on the things that came along with putting out a record for example composing a score for something or you know doing a custom concert uh, with new music with something so it's like it's never really the thing you do that that pays off it's all the things around it when you do something I think yes interesting uh, interesting I think you're <laughs> absolutely right uh, yeah mm. And it's just the energy of giving maybe brings back that energy in some other monetary way along. Yeah, for sure. And and sometimes it's not meant to be monetary and it just, you know, it, it happens on a human level. I mean, I found a wife and now I have a kid. And, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and a passion for art that uh, has been growing, you know, for yeah more than a decade now. Amazing. Uh, well, tell us how it compares. I know you write about contemporary art uh, in yes. China. How does it compare there in terms of creative output and sales with this whole lockdown situation? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, so actually, I, I wrote my dissertation at the uh, in 2016 in uh, about the. It was called "On the Verge of Philanthropy." Uh, so it was a, a, an institutional analysis about the Chinese contemporary art world and especially mm -hmm. the, the museum sector that pretty much developed overnight or mm -hmm. I mean up through the the zeros and the 10th in, in, in China. And so mm -hmm. I think uh, what I've been interested in a lot in that sense was also because, because we, we, we started getting or my wife started getting a lot of shows and we went a lot together. Uh, right mm -hmm. around like 2010, 2012, and all these museums opened up and I was still studying in the university and I found that it was a very interesting time to to see how does these institutions create themselves or invent themselves from the ground up because there is there was no infrastructure really in the art world in China. And now there is one and it looks like the Western infrastructure, but it's not. Right. Um, and... A large part of it, I mean, it's a long story, but the, uh, uh, to a large extent, um, the the museums have been built on this, uh, on, on the government wanting to expand the culture industry. So they created basically a building stop for the real estate entrepreneurs in up through the 2010s. And so in order mm -hmm. to get a, a building permit, you had to create something with culture. And so they created museums along with uh, luxury apartment complexes, a lot of these companies. Mm -hmm. and, and then all of a sudden they had a museum, but then, you know, uh, maybe they were not so interested in putting in 50 to 100 million a year in running it, uh, which means that now we, we have a lot of, oh, there was a period of time with a lot of museums that were just empty. Um, and recently it seems like, uh, like in the past three, two, three, four years, it seems as if um, all these mega galleries that have relocated to uh, opened uh, satellite spaces in Hong Kong, House mm -hmm. Unworth and Swerna and Gagosian and mm -hmm. uh, all these big names have started to infiltrate, you can say, in, to a certain extent, infiltrate the, the museum sector in China. So you have them paying for exhibitions for, uh, for the museums so that they can afford to have, for example, a huge Louis Bourgeois exhibition or something like that. And then magically, Hal Sandworth is presenting Louis Bourgeois at, the, at Basel, Hong Kong, uh, during that same period of time. And so this is, is, is sort of become like a, a wave of blockbuster exhibitions of Western artists. Like the first time this one is showing in China, the first time this one is showing in China, it's all like those are the headlines and have been for a long period of time and so i think yes uh, mm -hmm. yeah sorry go, go ahead yeah so i i think maybe from what i can gather i mean i, I might not be the, the right one to ask because we haven't actually been to china this year because of the lockdown but but from my friends that i've talked to and in like the gallery and and artist friends and and curator people that i know um they all say that the the sales have been quite reasonable and uh, the galleries say that uh, they saved a lot of money because they didn't have to pay for three Basel fairs and two free spares this year. Um, <laughs> and collectors, they haven't been able to buy the works in Hong Kong and Europe and the US like they usually do. 
So actually, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the investing might have actually turned back to the mid-level galleries in Beijing and Shanghai. So I think it it might end up being a good thing. Also, the museums might have had a difficult time uh, getting these blockbuster exhibitions. So <laughs> again, they will have to reprogram with what they have in in the local scene, which is not bad at mm-hmm. all. I mean, the right. Chinese art scene is is pretty good. Uh, so there is plenty to take from. But in the last few years, it's it it has been those like dominated by these blockbuster exhibitions. Um, so right. all in all, I think actually the the Chinese art scene is doing quite well. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Right now. Yes. And how are things in Copenhagen? Tell me how it's going there in terms of the arts and in terms of the scene before the <clears throat> lockdown and now during the lockdown. Yeah. I, I mean, the the government has been really good at providing help, uh, mm-hmm. these rescue packages. And uh, so they cover up to, uh, I think, 90% of the cost. And during the whole summer, they cut the cost in half for all museums in Denmark. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, like for the ticket fees, so they paid half the ticket fee basically, so everyone could get half price for getting in, which mm-hmm. mean, which meant that uh, at they some of the Danish museums have had more visitors this year than they had have ever had before. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, because all of a sudden it goes from twenty to ten dollars or something to get in. It's a yeah. it's a big thing if you're a family yes. of three or four or something. Um, yes. I mean, plus people really wanted to get out once the museums opened up. They we had a very like kind of strong lockdown, not as strong as uh, New York, but a pretty strong lockdown. Uh, people mm-hmm. could go out, go to the forest, but nothing was open besides grocery and uh, and pharmacies. We had yes. March, and I think by mid-April they, or maybe like by early May, they opened up the museums again, and then they would like time slot them and and. And stuff like that, but uh, but it worked out pretty well. So I haven't actually heard about any layoffs or gallery foreclosures or anything like that. Um, it's been pretty normal. So I guess Danish art scene will come out of this as exciting or boring, whatever you think, <laughs> as it was before. Right. I mean, it it it, it seems as if it's not hit that hard. I, I guess it's a little different story in New York. Or, Oh. Yes. Well, we are we are in a very uh, big lockdown in terms of our mental uh, capacities. But in terms of restaurants, you know, we can still somehow go to some of them yeah. and sit outside in the cold, in the freezing cold. <laughs> yeah, OK. <laughs> Stuff like that. But I don't think uh, we have as much fun right now as we normally do. No. But tell me on a personal level how it goes. How does it work to balance uh, your relationship with the mom who's also an artist taking care of a baby plus doing the work? I know women get asked this question all the time. So how does it work for you Yeah. Uh, on your day-to-day <laughs> studio time? Yeah, I think it actually works okay. I mean, we, we share a studio. Um, I mean, the, the whole painting thing for me is quite new. Uh, I, I started painting like a year and a half ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, I never really painted before, ever, mm-hmm. and I haven't been drawing since high school or anything. But I've been mm-hmm. thinking about it for many years. And then my mm-hmm. wife had the studio, and she mostly used it with her computer and for small drawings and storing 
photo works when they come in and out before they ship off. So she had a lot of space and I had some money and, and time. Uh, so I started painting. So now we're actually sharing it together. And I also started paying rent. <laughs> so we share the rent and we share the space and we, uh, and we go here every day. And sometimes when she's lazy, she stays at home with the computer. I stay at home and, you know, we switch around. But usually we have the day together in the studio. Um, yes. And, and where's the baby then? How old is the baby? Yeah, well, he's uh, almost five now. So he's, he's starting school this summer. Right now he's in kindergarten. Uh, oh, right now he's actually home with his mom because the kindergarten closed this Thursday. But um, but uh, uh, usually he's in uh, kindergarten, and they have been quite good at keeping it open during this whole thing. Very cool. You know, now that you mentioned that, how old your son is? I remember now when we met. Yes, your son had just been born. Yeah, my son was also. Uh, is my son yeah. is also five yeah it's like so it's about around the same time like breastfeeding in the freeze lounge yeah <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah 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 exactly but, so we're gonna have to have a play date and catch up with for the sure, them sometime. sure when this whole thing is over <laughs> yeah so i think it's not so that difficult funny. for us to to share it i mean if 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 any of us had a nine to five job it would be it would cause a lot more trouble but now we can sort of plan around uh yeah having this time and of course, I have my grandparents or my parents here in Copen mm -hmm. nearby, and mm -hmm. they are retired, and they would love to take him for a night or two if we, he needs. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. go to China. My uh, my wife's uh, family is all in Beijing, and uh, mm -hmm. and of course they miss him like crazy. So uh, if they get to have two or three days with him while we go to Hong Kong for Art Basel, they love it. And, yes, you know, <laughs> you get the royal treatment <laughs> for an extended weekend. So we are kind of blessed in that way. Um, yes. So I don't think it's a really a pro problem for us. It, it might turn out to be a problem if 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 we started working in like a full time job. I, I could easily see that become difficult. Yeah. Well, tell me what projects you have in mind uh, once this whole lockdown thing is over. What have you been working on and yeah. what plans do you guys have? Yeah, I mean, um, so uh, actually, I mean, of course, I'm I'm doing this project with these paintings that I'm working on right now. But it's it's kind of um, it doesn't really have a, a end to it or what you can say. But it's it's sort of like a closed down project and I have a an idea about how many I will produce and what they're going to be about and stuff. And hopefully this body of work will be ready to show somewhere if I can find a decent gallery for them um, somewhere in the spring, uh, or at least to show it out. But um, besides from that, I'm, I'm working on a solo exhibition that I'm curating uh, here in Denmark uh, with a Chinese friend called Liren, who lives mm -hmm. in and so it will be like mm -hmm. a, we're the same age. He's also around thirty. I think he's born in eighty-five uh, or something like that. Um, so he's kind of younger generation Chinese artist. Um, and there will be like a painting exhibition showing at Christian Andersen Gallery here in Copenhagen, and uh, along mm -hmm. with a screening program of his video works. He's mostly known as a video artist, but he actually graduated as a, as a painter from Sichuan Academy. Uh, so 
and his father is also a painter and he's, he's really really talented painter so I, th I thought it would be interesting to show both his paintings and his video works uh, mm -hmm. we show the video works at Kunsthalle Charlottenborg uh, we uh, do like a screening program that runs along the gallery show uh, with the paintings um, and I think that's going to be super interesting because it's the first time he's showing in Scandinavia um, and I think it might pave the way for a more, you know, say, nuanced perspective on contemporary art from China, because somehow it still feels like in Scandinavia that Chinese or contemporary art from China, you should say, um, is associated with Ai Weiwei and the 90s generation of, you know, coming out of uh, the Cultural Revolution and uh, this kind of sentiments. Um, so I, I think it's time to sort of move on and hear some of the younger voices. Yes, lovely. Well, it sounds like you're doing really cool and interesting work and I can't wait to see a little bit more of it. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we uh, hang up? No, I think that uh, kind of sums it up. I mean, it's... <laughs> There's no, we feel like I'm, uh, there's not so much to say every day is the same these days. So <laughs> it's like a mental lockdown more than anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I hope you all the best. I hope you guys do well and you get back to your travels and exhibitions and stuff soon. You can give your uh, son a big kiss for me. Oh, thank you. And you too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good luck to the two of you and I can't wait to meet again. Yeah, thank you. You too. Okay. Take care. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye, Christian. Thank you for joining us in this new year 2021. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Christian and please uh, look him up online and find out about the new projects he has coming up in Europe as well as in the rest of the world. Take care and see you again soon on another episode of the Bees and Honey podcast.